but to be just absorbed into the crowd. Yeah. And be in the middle of the crowd watching the show and just feeling the, you know, the, the vibe. I mean, there's just nothing like it. I've talked to a couple of other club owners who said the same thing. Hello and welcome to Where the Living Room Used to Be, a podcast about Rhode Island's music scene. Hey everyone, it's James. My guest on this episode is Rich Lupo a legendary club owner here in Providence for nearly 45 years. In our interview, we cover why he got into the business, some of his favorite bands and personal memories over the last few decades, and even how Lupo's Heartbreak Hotel got its name. Make sure to follow along on Facebook and Instagram, at Living Room UTB, for some live shots and other photos from Rich's time in music. And if you enjoy the episode, please leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Well, Rich Lupo, thank you so much for mm. taking the time to sit down and talk. Cool. Like it's it's yeah. an honor. So, yeah. um, I mean, to get things started, can you talk just a little bit about uh, where you grew up? And um, I grew up in Boston. Okay. Uh, my family moved from Roxbury to Dorchester to Mattapan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a, a Jewish origin. But then uh when I was eleven we moved to Reading Mass, which is ten miles north of Boston. Yeah. Um my uncle was a psychiatrist, well by through marriage, and he talked my father into investing in a nursing home in Reading. So okay. my, my father put his life savings into Yeah. Nursing like running home. the nursing home or well like owning it. Yeah. Okay. So sort of, like my, my aunt, my this kind of so I kind of ran it. Yeah, yeah. And it was relevant to me because I I worked in it since I was like 12. Oh, wow. So, okay. But, uh, um, and then, and then I came back, you know, I, I went to Brown and I yep. moved here at the age of 17. Oh, okay. So, that's, and that's nice. how important was music to you when you were growing up? Uh, actually, you know, it was a really big thing because my father was a bartender. Okay. And when he was about 28 years old, he, he started singing for the customers. And he actually became a singing bartender. Oh, wow. All right. And then um, finally landed uh, jobs being uh, like a, a singer in like a, what you call it? I guess you call him a lounge lizard. Oh, they'd, yeah, yeah. There'd be a, back then on a Saturday night, people would go out to a lounge and my father would, he'd work 40 minutes and then take a 20 minute singing shift. And the waitress, the waitress would do the same thing. Yeah. There was, a, I, I don't, I don't remember. Whatever it was, that's what it was. They just sort of took turns performing. They were professional, te- technically professional singers. Yeah, yeah. But he was, he was, if anything, a professional bartender. And, uh, so my childhood was, I, I just, I could hear him practicing constantly. Yeah. He worked at night, so all afternoon you'd hear him going like, how blue is the moon singing that over yeah. and over and over and things like that. And, uh, and he saw himself as kind of a, I think he was sort of like, I don't know, a Carmen McRae. Is it Carmen? No, no, uh, 
Joel McRae. Okay. Something like that. But yeah. he was in now, like Carousel. Yeah. Those, those, those productions, those Rogers and Hammersteins. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. He, his, his voice was somewhat similar to that. And, uh, so I, it was constant practice. My mother would play the piano for him mm-hmm. at home. Was and there someone accompanying him, like, in the bars, or was it, like... Yeah, there, yeah there'd yeah, be okay. a piano player. Yeah, yeah all right. Yeah. Wow. And uh, then he eventually got jobs, uh, like, uh, at bar mitzvahs and mm-hmm. weddings, and get 25 bucks to do a wedding. Yeah, yeah. Be, like, DMC. Yeah. And, uh, so what kind of music were you listening to, then, as you were growing up? Well, I was here. I hated that kind of music, but yeah, I, I heard of, it. Kind of typical revolt from yeah. you know, your parents listening to you or something. <laughs> so I could go on. What happened to me was, um, I think I, I started hearing rock and roll when I was about six, which maybe most people do, mm-hmm. but I distinctly remember it. I remember the first time I heard, um, I remember my brother would leave the radio on when we went out to school and I, oh, okay. would, and I could distinctly remember the song, I remember, uh, the second song I ever heard was Shake, Rattle, and Roll. And yeah. I was about six years old. It kind of woke me up, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I think that just hearing that stuff, it just sort of create this, sort of this kind of beat in your head mm-hmm. that grows. And I, I, uh, I, I, then I remember like my mother woke me up late. She promised to do it and we watched King Kong on television. Okay. Yeah. And there was the, the, uh, the, the, the tribes people had these drumming, all these drumming things were going on mm-hmm. and, and all the chanting like was going on. And I remember just like, my God, there's this other, this, this strange other world that was going on. And yeah. I, I, was, I remember it being like overwhelmingly attractive. And then, um, then, uh, I remember being, uh, joining a bowling league when I was about nine. Eight or nine years old, mm-hmm. and they like my parents would let me off at the bowling league, and they had a WILD radio station on at the bowling league, yeah. and that was the black station in Boston. So I heard James Brown, mm-hmm. and I remember hearing it. This is the strange. This is amazing. It was like overwhelming stuff. It was a whole other world. Yeah, nothing like kind of coming from what your father was singing. And- Completely counter from that, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I would just, I just, I, I, it just grew on me and I just Mm -hmm. loved it more and more. So, you came down to Providence for school and, um, were you working in bars and clubs, like, uh, during that time, like prior, before the start of Loop Bells? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Where were you working? Um, Were the music clubs or was it? Well, the most significant thing for me was, uh, there was a uh, a dumpy little shithole bar in Pawtucket. Mm-hmm. Um, Which one? Um, it was called Waddy Lodge. <laughs> yeah. Where is it? I don't know what's there now. It's the corner of Pleasant and uh, Division down in that general area. There, there used to be. Oh, okay. There used to be six places in that around that corner. Yeah. It was like a, where like the Mister USA Cleaner. There's like yes. A, the, yeah, it's like a shark. Yeah. Shark. Lounge or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that was that was one of the last. That there was a place there. That was the last one that I remember coming into the area. But there was there was like the Greek Club and the American Club, the Irish Club, which yeah. still just closed down I think last year. Okay. And there was this place, Lottie Lodge, and as a uh, 
freshmen, we were pretty good at, uh, it didn't take long before we found the, the, uh, places to, to drink. Yeah. Like the cheapest places <laughs> the to cheapest drink. The <laughs> cheapest, cheapest, yeah. or the most exciting, yeah, the yeah, least yeah. exciting. Yeah. So, um, that was, uh, you had to get somebody who had to have to have a car or so, but that mm-hmm. was, uh, I, that was like the most interesting place in the world to me. It, uh, it, it, it was run by a guy named, uh, John Pedro, who was known as Lottie Lod, and he was, uh, this, he had this overwhelming personality, and, uh, and it was like a, you know, a, a, there was a, a, a bakery on Pleasant Street. Okay. I forget, it was Hilltop or something. So you had all the mill workers coming in, and you had mm-hmm. bikers coming in. You had college kids coming in that found out about it. You had yeah. you had uh, lower socioeconomic uh, women come in who made a living to some degree in the mm-hmm. area, like on the streets. And I mean, everything was in there. Yeah, and it was just it was like just overwhelming and fascinating. Yeah, I yeah. loved it. I mean, it wasn't. You know, you just, I just, I, even back then, I guess I was kind of just watching mm-hmm. things around me. I just loved it. Then he eventually, uh, hired me as a bartender. So okay. I bartended there yeah, probably from about the age of 19, probably, or 20. Yeah. And, uh, I think that the original, I think that Lupo's was a little bit modeled after that, of kind of trying to be a, uh, sort of a melting pot. Okay. And, and I, I just loved the working class places and, it was, it was a big influence on my life, but musically, it was the jukebox. It was the jukebox, yeah. Okay. Well, then, yeah. How did uh, Lupo start? Um, if I can go back in my life, what happened to me was I, I, uh, I think I, I used uh, listening to music as kind of an escape from just yep. about everything else. Yeah. And I. I, we, we were sitting around the house watching TV as a little kid, and I had a, two, I had a transistor radio to, um, to my ear. Yeah. I was listening to the, the old shows, and, mm-hmm. and WYLD, I found, which is incredible, like, um, soul Yeah, yeah. And uh, I ended up, like, kind of collecting records. I'd take the, the bus to different towns. I knew where you could buy The cutout bins were, and I bought 45s. I yeah. spent all my money. That I made doing anything on either records or food. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, so for me, it was kind of a like a not a fantasy world, but it was an escape from just about everything mm-hmm. else. I, I was like addicted to it. Yeah. So, right at the beginning, I, I was when I started at Brown. We walked down College Hill, finding another shithole. Right down the bottom of the hill, there was this other place that you would have loved. <laughs> and uh and the f- first time I sat in there I was sitting at the bar. What was the name of the you remember? It was called the Crystal Tap. Okay. And it became Armando's and it's where it's at the bottom of Steeple Street. In yeah. fact it became Steeple Street, that restaurant Steeple Street. Oh yeah, okay. That was, that was a little men's bar, so to speak. Yeah. And uh and I remember sitting at the bar and telling my new friend next to me that this is what I want to do. I want to open a bar and I want to uh, have Bo Diddley play in the bar. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was 17 years old. I was already starting to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I just, my world was sort of like old rock and roll records. And, and I love the bar. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was talking about it back then, but I thought it was just a joke. 
But that seed was planted at the seed. Yeah, I think the seed was planted when I was like, six. Yeah, but like yeah. And then then and, and then when I walked into the bar, it was like have a bar and, and combine it. And, and you're starting to come up with a plan of how you can do this. And, yeah, know, just like looking around and like I can. <laughs> yeah, I've run into people now that said I was. They, they met me when I was 21, and they said that I was talking about it back then. I don't remember doing it, but yeah. You know. And. uh so what I thought would work is that I could open a club and have a jukebox and have my records. Oh, okay. And that that was the original intent was to to play to play the records and have the people like dance and have a great time. And then I thought maybe like you'd be able to get acts, you know, bands to play in it. Yeah. Which was kind of a naive thought because, you know, how could you book Bo Diddley, you know? And, yeah. Was there a lot of that at that time? Like a lot of live music in Rhode Island. Not at that, no, but there was. But, uh, yeah. so, so anyway, I, I just want to make that point though, is that I, yeah. I really, it was more the, 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 uh, the records that people yeah. would dance the jukebox with occasional, just yeah. occasional music in there. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then what happened to me is I, there was, and this, this to me is like a really important part of the musical history around mm-hmm. here with me, is that there was this place called uh, India Imports. Okay. Have you yeah. ever heard of that? Yeah, I have. Yeah. We ever talked about that? I don't know if we have. I, I don't know that much about it. So there was, there was a place called India Boards, and this yeah. guy, Jadish, imported clothes from India and then distributed them. I think Spectrum India, which lasted a later, maybe 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of Spectrum India? No. Maybe they're out of business now. But anyway, the warehouse for India Imports was the Shepherd's Building. Like the third or fourth floor of the Shepherd's Building downtown. Okay. Which is one of like the second largest buildings, URI now. Okay, yeah, yeah. And he hired, he, he paid minimum wage and every hippie, every, everyone who's, didn't belong in, in society worked there. Everyone, yeah. it was, it was the place where anybody could work, it was laid back, you know, maybe smoke marijuana or whatever. Yeah. It was just, like this, I guess you'd call it the hipsters were there. Yeah. And uh, I started just hanging around because my friends, several of my friends were working there. Uh-huh. And uh, so going, moving ahead, by the time I, I decided that I was really got it together to open a club, I located it near Indy Imports because I figured yeah. they could all, after work, come and play foosball and play darts, shoot darts and drink and this yeah. and that. But what also happened was, uh, as we were under construction, I started talking to different people that worked there, and they were in bands. Mm-hmm. And just about every band that played in the original Lupos had somebody that, that worked at Indian Imports. Because okay. these, these hipsters, are, they were musicians, just like it is like on yeah. Broad, like like you're on Broadway now in, in the West End. Yeah. And uh, and that's how our I, I, I mean we had a. We we ended up with lineups of uh, of local, and that's where all the that's where all our bands came from. And there was this, uh-huh. so there was this really pretty thorough scene of every single type of music you could imagine, but they yeah. didn't play anywhere. Yeah, okay. So I, I was very fortunate that way. There there was a club in Pawtucket, a double club called The Edge, and across the street was a club called January's. Okay. And those were the only two music clubs I could think of that were not in the South Like, you know, original music or... Oh, not really. They were kind of top 40-ish. Was it? Okay. Um, Riz played there. 
so they weren't completely top for you. I mean, but it was, it was not, it was kind of like, uh, JR's Fast Lane or the, um, I'm trying to think when it's similar club, like now it would be Publine Park, you know, places where kind of GB, more mainstream bands. Yeah, play. Right. yeah. Um, so you could open the door and you like allowed a place for these bands to, to come out. And, the, I don't think there were other, I mean, I don't know where they played. So, so I, again, my original tent was more to, to, to play right 45 RPM. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But I wanted to do that on weekends. Yeah. And then all these play bands had nowhere to play and they just, just right away, just, you know, it, within a, probably within two months, we were just going full gear, like probably five, six nights a week at the end. Wow. And were yeah. you booking the club? Or was booking it at Back the then I was, yeah. Yeah. For, I think for the first maybe two, I, I don't know, the first couple of years I, I, yeah. I booked it. But I didn't have to do anything. I mean, I just knew half the people and they just, you it was, just, it was yeah, just, sure, just write it on the calendar or whatever. You're yeah, doing. it was just there. <laughs> yeah. You know, they were, they were there and the club was there. It was, it was, there was nothing else. Uh-huh. It was, the living room didn't go with bands till 1979. Yeah. And so. Yeah, because what year was Lupo's? 75. Yeah. So for four years, it was the, the only place where an original, that, that I can think of, mm-hmm. for that size, we should be able to play. The, the smaller club was the Met. Which, yeah. uh, Lupo's opened in, um, September of 1975. The Met opened in October of 1975. Okay. We both had a legal capacity of about 300. Yeah. And the, the Met, like, probably about you know, 50. Yeah. And what was your connection with the Met at the beginning there? Were you, um, part uh, of it back drinking then? draft beer? Okay. <laughs> it was, yeah. Yeah, urinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who owned the Met then? At um, the time? there were three it? fellows that did that. One okay. of them was Josh Miller. Oh, okay. Our state senator. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the two other guys, I, I can, I remember, you know, I remember yeah. one of their names. And, uh, they were URI graduates, recent URA graduates. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was a great little bar. Cool. And, uh, so that was kind of like, like a tiny neck and knees, but, but everybody, and, and again, like Lottie Lodge in Pawtucket, you go in there and there were lawyers and judges. And just very diverse. Bums yeah. And people that lived on the street, so to speak. And, and, and just, you know, everybody. Everybody mm-hmm. just go there and everybody would get sopping wet and mm-hmm. it was great. Are you with us this evening? Remember the first bands or the first show that 
happened at Lupo's? Oh, I remember about the first month. Yeah, the, um, the very first show was a guy named uh, Tom Brown, who was a local uh, piano player. He, he he just went from bar to bar and played the piano for beers. Yeah, he was kind of a not transient, but he was kind of one of those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was an old old guy. He must have been actually actually probably was about sixty five. Mm-hmm. And uh, he put together a band and. And as I look back, it was a great kind of jazzy. Mm-hmm. It was a great, they were great artists in that band. And uh, what else did they do? And, yeah. Um, so that was the first night. And then I think that, I think that the, the next weekend we had the Hamilton Bates Blue Flames. And that's Scott Hamilton. Yeah. Who's, we, we, yeah. Well, we, yeah. Who'll be inducted. inducted yeah. who be inducted into the Hall of Fame. But that, they were, Again, it was kind of a jazz thing. And then, um, that would be one weekend. So if we'd have yeah. Friday and Saturday, we'd have this jazz band. Yep. And then the next weekend, uh, would be the Backslap Blues Band, which was the first incarnate of a blues band from this area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the lead guitarist of that band played here a couple of nights ago with, uh, the band opening for, uh, Anna Popovich. But okay. she played a few days ago in the opening act. Um, he was a weak star, so and we were all still it's here. Still, yeah, you know? still going. Yeah. And uh, and then the the next weekend would be a band called the uh, Banana Bunkhouse Boys. Mm-hmm. And there's your country, um, not western, but your kind of Americana band. Yeah. And uh, they're all right there, right? They all worked at Indian Ports, and, and they're still around. Obviously, yeah. not in those bands, but they're all still playing around. Yeah. Can you describe a little bit more about what the original Lupos look like? And, like, the, you know, you've kind of talked about the vibe, but did it just kind of have that, like, bar feel? And, the, like, where people, when there weren't shows going on, were a lot of people hanging out? There? Yeah, it was it was open with or without music. I mean, yeah. in the daytime, we, um, we, we had a lunch because the idea was to be part of the community. Uh-huh. So we, we were open all the time. We were always open. Yeah. Christmas Eve, lunch, happy hour. We, yeah, yeah. we had a bunch of happy hour regulars that are still dear to my heart. And, uh, uh, well, the Met, this Met is a, is a, is a, for me, a copy of the original Lupus. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the, that's the reason the Met is, I walked into this place when it was, uh, Blackstone. Yeah. Was that what it was called? Yeah, it was a Blackstone. Yeah, and, right. uh, and with the walls taken, with all the little offices taken down, this looked exactly to me like the original Lupo's. Yeah. And that's why I'm here. Yeah. And, uh, but it was much, it was smaller at the very beginning. It was much smaller. We kept expanding. Oh, okay. And, uh, it was, uh, it was probably a little bit like a halfway between Nicanese and that. I gotcha. And, uh, and it just had an overwhelming sense of community. Mm-hmm. You know, people like just regulars and, the bands, everybody knew each other and they'd mm-hmm. come there and everybody come down there on Friday night no matter what. Yeah. Um, one of the beauties back then was that everybody came down Friday night and the, the onus was on us to have good music. Yeah. But they were, okay. they came, they didn't even know who was playing on Friday night. Everybody just came down. No one. There was, was on, there was, was, was Rich Lebeau to book a good band. It was kind of on, yeah. yeah. I mean, and they, yeah. they were, you know, we're more of a blues club. Than yeah. Anything else. Yeah. And As opposed to now, where it's like, who was 
Who's this band? I don't know. I'll check them out on Spotify and see yeah, if yeah. I like them to come down. Yeah. They had faith that, that, that it would be a good R&B blues band. Yeah. But then, within a matter of years, we started expand, you know, expanding with the times, but also getting more like more rock stuff. Yeah. Yeah, what are some of the uh, notable like acts that have come through there? Let me go back. So we, we had all these... these the local bands all played there. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were about into it for probably six months or a year, and people started saying, geez, I think we could get Risk. I think we could get Risk. Oh, okay. And said, well, let's... So we got, we got Risk, which was like a huge step. Yeah. And then um, and then people started saying, this is band of Pawtucket. you got to go see him. you got to go see him. And I remember driving to some bar. I think it was on Division Street, but maybe I'm wrong. It was, and... Uh, and it was a band, it was, no, the Wild Turkey Band, right there. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're from Pawtucket. And then, then it got into our heads that, hey, maybe Roomful of Blues would play here. Mm-hmm. They were these big stars. They were, they were just the biggest stars you could think of from Rhode Island. Yeah. And they played the Brazil and the band or something. Yes. Like that, yeah. And they played there. So we expanded kind of our Rhode Island thing. And, uh, but then the national, Acts uh, started the first ones were blues acts, mm-hmm. um, such as who? Well, the first the first national act we had was someone called Big Walter Horton, who was a harp player. Yeah, and uh, we got him because somebody in like Backslap or something. No, it was uh, Ronnie Horvath who became late changed his name to Ronnie Earl. Yeah, who became a lead singer of Roomful after the Duke. Mm-hmm. He lived with Ronnie Earl, like. These old blues guys, yeah, would, uh, take a minute, took it in an old blues guy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that that happened several times. So, um, that was our first uh, act, and uh, and then I don't even know how it happened, but somehow we got a um, big Joe uh, Turner, who was the guy that did Shake, Rattle, and Roll. Yeah. Which was the music when I was six years old that got wow. my brain into this whole thing. And so to me, that was like an overwhelming experience. Yeah. And that was like 76 or 77. And, uh, and then I remember, uh, the editor of the, the, uh, new paper, which I guess turned into Phoenix in a mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Um, he had a friend, uh, Bob Schumann, who somehow knew Bo Diddley and through him, we booked Bo Diddley, and that was, I think, 1977, and by then, the yeah. young adults had come out, and uh, so we had uh, a week of Bo Diddley with the young adults, Yeah, and that sold out a week of yeah, shows. Yeah, like seven shows or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, I think it was nine shows. What now? Wow. the two, or Friday wow, and Saturday. Wow, yeah. And they all just sold out. I mean, I, I have a ticket at home. It was uh, $3.25, <laughs> yeah. or $3, I think. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and so we're getting national acts, and for me that was like the, these were the these were like the most important artists in the world to me. Yeah, so it was really thrilling, and uh, and it seemed pretty quick. I mean, did it feel quick to you? Like, I just don't I mean, within even like know. a couple of years of starting this bar, like yeah. having that those like yeah that that, that was that was within two years. Yeah, it happened really kind of fast. That's um, somebody else like just came in and they, I think it might actually might have been something to do with Rudy, but um, we talked, we got the talking heads yeah. because they had, you know, they went to RISD yeah. and uh, 
we had the talking heads in like, I don't know what year it was, but it was like 77 or something in 76. It was 75 cents at the door. Yeah. And, uh, and then, um, after we started booking Riz, that's when I met Jack Rich. Okay. And Jack Rich was a promoter. Mm-hmm. And I think Jack got us the Ramones. But again, this is really in the 70s. This is really early. Yeah. And, uh, I was, a, I, I did it, but I hated it because I thought they were like this music that was completely not really All cool. the Ramones, like said, specifically, you're like, that. I said, what is it? This is, this is, this is junk. This isn't real R and B. Yeah. This yeah. isn't real music. I mean, I, and, uh, you know, looking back, they're considered like the yeah, organic kinda... beginning of this thing. I said, yeah, we don't do stuff like that. What is this? You know, yeah. and there was no term new wave back then or anything like that. So, but that's all like, that's, that's 76, 77, I think, mm-hmm. maybe 78 with the Ramones. But Jack started to book some of those things as, and, a, as a promoter, like he. Yeah, I think I was booking the, like, the blues stuff from Chicago and this and that. Yeah. Jack was Riz's manager, okay. but he was also a, a promoter. Um, I think Jack booked Bruce Springsteen at a place called The Jail in 1974. That oh, was yeah. on, on yeah, okay. in, uh, India Point Park. That was oh, the incredible. that was the only time I ever got thrown out of a bar. How did why? What did you do? They uh, well, it was like a theme. It was a good place, but like had you were at the Springsteen concert, or you no, no, I was just, just I was just there. You were at, at the jail. You got, I was just you got there. thrown out of jail. Is that what you're saying? I got thrown out of jail. Yeah, that's <laughs> funny. That was, I guess that was a good thing. But they had a sign, uh, like they these steps that went up to the side, right. and there was a sign that said men's room. Yeah. And I had to go to the bathroom really bad and I went up the steps and it was just a theme. Oh. So it was, it was a painted men's room door. Yeah. And I, I was like, I thought that was really tacky of them to do that to me. So I urinated on the, on the wall where yeah. the, the door I think was. that's understandable. Uh, was, why not? Yeah. And so if somebody grabbed me. I think that's me, on them. That's on them. That's on them. <laughs> so. But uh, it was actually, that was a good place. That was kind of a wild, you know, thing. Okay. And like what year was, was the jail around? Uh, that's late 60s. I'd say 69. That's like 68, 70. Okay. Yeah, I don't know when it, uh, that's when I had the experience there. Yeah. But then Jack, I think that's where he broke from Springsteen. So it must have been around till maybe 75. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I didn't think of it as a live music place. It was more like a, I don't know what you'd call it, like a disc, like drunken disco. I don't know. What oh, it okay. Was. Yeah. So, uh, getting back to the booking, Jack was managing Riz, but Jack kind of had the, started working with agents, so-called agencies, big yeah. agencies like in New York. Mm-hmm. So it was through Jack, we started to really get into the mainstream of, uh, of booking rock shows. Yeah. And, uh, have you seen the calendar that's... The one that's like by the, like on yeah. the way to the bathrooms here? At the yeah. Bathroom. That's, uh, yeah, that's yeah. 1981. And that, that's like the pretenders. And yeah. That, that's an example of what was happening. The pretenders came out 19, I think in 1981. Mm-hmm. And they were just starting to make it. So they were playing small clubs and Jack booked them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I distinctly remember it was like $500. You know, they were during their first run around the country. Yeah. And we started getting a lot of those things. Yeah. 
That's great. Yeah, I'll uh, grab a picture of that and, and post it. But yeah, that that calendar that you have there is like yeah. a, a who's who list. And yeah, that was and that was a, a that was a great that was one month. month, right? That was a great month, but that's <laughs> yeah. what that's what was going on. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how long did that first iteration of Lupos go on for? Um, well, Lupos was shut down in 1988. Um, we were we were evicted. Oh, okay. Because um, the lease had expired, and that was on, on year to year. And then, um, and people from Boston were starting to buy a property in you. Providence, yeah. and that would spell doom for for us. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, did so you have any kind of crazy blowout before the the last show at that first one? Or? There, well, right here is. <laughs> That that blackboard? Yeah, that's the last night of 1998. Oh. That's that uh, that blackboard it was the, the is, show is, is it, the right? same chalk. We've touched up a bit. Oh wow! That that's you, the, like kept it intact from yeah. 1988. Wow. What happened is actually someone stole it. Stole the chalkboard? That was stolen in, in the last night of Lupos. Oh. Like I came in the next morning and there was like half the stuff was gone and that was gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, when we were opening up the Met, um, a musician friend of mine came in and carrying this, uh, blackboard said, a friend of mine had it in his basement. He said some guy left it there in his basement mm-hmm. and I thought you might be interested in it. He had no idea what it was. So yeah. the Met's under construction and a musician walked in carrying it. Yeah. Explain that to me, and I've been looking for it for twenty. It's been missing for twenty-three years. Wow! And whoever stole it left the truck intact and just like put it, yeah, in a basement. Put it in like a, yeah. And so been... then that's that's. Uh, I think it's uh, Hank uh, Hank Williams um, with a menu of what's yeah. coming up. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, those were all the big bands at the time, and they played and. Uh, the last night was a great blowout. I mean, the parking lot was filled. With, yeah, yeah. It was, it was cool. It was yeah. There's, there's a video of that. There's about a four hours of video of that. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, you bring up the Met. So, how did you get connected with the Met? Um, well, Lupus and the Met were like we were like sister clubs, so to speak. Yeah. Um, for all those years, they're, they're, that's like seventy-five to eighty-eight. Yeah. And uh, I think the Met. I think the Met. I don't know when the first Met closed. Mm-hmm. They everybody always gets evicted with you know always gets 
closed down by that are successful. Young gets closed down by eventually by by yeah. Gentrification. You're, you're you're bringing people downtown, yeah. and then yeah. they're like, oh, everyone wants to go downtown now. Yeah. So let's buy up this property. Yeah. So and the kick property out the people be, exactly. Downtown. I mean, that's the, the, the <laughs> this history. is a happening place. Let's get rid of the place that's making it happening. <laughs> it's the history of. I mean, the Menton Lupos have been in three locations. I mean, that's yeah. the history of rock and roll part of it. I think. Yeah. And uh, so we decided to. I, I asked them to, to if I will if I had a Finding new lupos, mm-hmm. and I asked them if they'd like to join in, and uh, like as like business partners, in a as sense, a or? club, as a sister oh. club, they're, oh, okay. they're on their own. I, I can't remember. I thought maybe either way, mm-hmm. either together or on. I thought on their own. Yeah, and uh, I forget the name of it now. But there's a we almost bought. I tried to put together getting the. Uh, there's this place called the Stone Building, uh, in the Jewelry District, okay. and now it's some. I don't know what it is. Some medical. Oh, but yeah, we're about the Imperial Knife Building, uh, something. But anyway, we almost went there and it fell through. Uh-huh. And uh, and and I just couldn't couldn't find a spot. And then I saw the spot where Lupo's Two was, yeah. which was the um, oh, I can't remember. It's like a department store. Right? It was a, yeah, yeah I forget the name of the department store. Yeah, the Peerless. Yeah, okay. right. And uh, it just seemed perfect. Yeah. And uh, it was. Awesome spot, so you, I said, I don't know if I didn't know if you, your yeah. age was appropriate for that. No, it was uh, uh, personally for me. It was a very big part of my yeah. like musical yeah, experience. I was, remember driving down here from Massachusetts yeah, was, and seeing seeing so many bands. It was a, yeah, we, we had, it was per, we had we, it was big enough for the big club, and then there was room for a developmental like a like a sister small yeah, the club, mat, and like you the, could the, access it from the yeah, side yeah one one liquor license. So, oh really? Oh okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Technically the same business. Yeah. So um Josh and Tom Bates, yeah, who became the, the other owner of the original Met. They they had the Met, mm-hmm. Night Lupos, and uh Josh eventually though opened up Trinity Brewery. Yep. Tom opened up the Hot Club and so yeah. they they were going another direction in life and so I bought the Met from that. Yeah, okay. And that was like 1995. Yeah. And that's how I became owner of the map. Oh, okay. And who was booking? Was you still working with Jack? Jack. Booking and, uh, was Mike, he booking the map as well now? Yes. Just kind of like, and, just depending on the, the popularity of a band would be which room they yes, play in, basically? Yes. And Mike Delahanty yep. um, like went, the, went from serving pizza slices uh, at, at Lupo's and worked his way into becoming the booking person for the, the, for the, a lot of what what happened at the Met. Oh, okay, so that's how we got introduced into into booking was just being in a like an employee at. Yeah, he at was a he, like, he he he. he I, I first met him. He was selling pizza slices for Fellini's. Oh, okay. Fellini's had, was, Fellini's right. had a had a uh, division at. Uh, at we, we subbed out. Lupus yeah, I remember that. You could buy pizza. Oh, you uh, remember that too? Yeah, great. It wasn't and, every show though, right? I think it was, that up was like to the them. bigger, yeah. It was okay. up to I remember them. like the bigger shows yeah. of be able to get pizza. I couldn't, yeah. you know. <laughs> He also was a bartender at the Safari Lounge. Oh, yeah. Which is everyone's favorite. And his, uh, well, I mean, Brian Chippendale and Lightning Bolt have kind of put that place on the map, but yeah, it's very, uh, renowned for its, uh, I guess yeah. dive bariness, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's just, so Mike bartended there and they sold pizza slices and they, but he, he clearly loved music and he started booking them. That's cool. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean, going to see, I remember seeing Fugazi play at Lupo's and, um, definitely one of my favorite Rhode Island bands was Groovis Malt. And I remember hearing about them and this is when I was living outside of Worcester and we would come down for a ton of Groovis Malt shows and, um, you know, got to kind of connect with them with the band that I was playing in at that yeah. time and stuff. But, uh, yeah, Lupo's is a very, you know, has a very special spot. Yeah. I think Lupo's 2 was a really great bar. I do. I, I think Lupo's 3, I wasn't so, wasn't such a great place. I, I mean, it was a good, well, it seemed great to have concert. just changed the vibe of what you're yeah, talking about with concert. the first one. Yeah. yeah. Lupo's 2 was kind of like Lupo's 1 at a concert level. Yeah. And I, I think it was the capacity of the second one. It's like 1500. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it was like still, it still had kind of a community spirit. Yeah. And people really had fun. Yeah. They're just a fun place, you know? Yeah. And, and the employees were so close knit and, mm-hmm. and different, like, just, I just, I could tell you, like, I knew those were all PC students sort of the left and the, like, you know, you're just, yeah. like, people had homes there sort of in the areas and, and, uh, I thought it had a, I think that looking back on the, the first two clubs, they had a real sense of community. They mm-hmm. were communities, you know, yeah. and they, there was a real spirit that, that, you didn't get on Lupus 3, and Lupus 3 was a good concert club, I guess. Yeah. But it was, I mean, I had some wonderful time experiences there, but I never felt like it was mine, my home. Oh, really? Well, okay. Lupus 2, I just, it was like, and Lupus 1, it was home. Like where you hung out. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're getting to your, like, 45th year of being a club owner. Mm. Like, do you have anything that you're kicking around for for that or like yeah, a 40 like 45 year celebration yeah i think what we're gonna we did a 40th yeah thing here and i thought i mean I, I i loved it but i think what we're gonna do here is more of it it's also the 10th anniversary of the met okay coming up which is actually coincidental like in this location with the, yeah. it's actually coincidental with the with 1975 mm-hmm. Because Lupo's opened on September 5th, 1975. The Met opened on September 9th, 2010. Yeah. So now that I think about it, we should make it maybe both. But we yeah, were yeah. planning to do like a 10th, 10th year thing at the Met. Oh, nice. But by doing a 10th at the Met, we, we don't have to do bands that are like 73 years old. And be, you know, the thing, the 40th thing at for Lupus that we had at the Met was all the older bands. Like trying to kind of relive some of that. Yeah. So I think we can do something a little more modern. Yeah. Have some of the, the, whatever, yeah. the current bands. And we'll do yeah. The current bands. In fact, the party James, I was meaning to ask if you could, you know, maybe spearhead the music. So I'm going to book your, your anniversary uh, you party. You could perform. So I'm going to, if you want me to, I would love to, yes. <laughs> now it's on recording right now with us, so <laughs> we'll have to. <laughs> When I'm not playing it in a couple months, I'll be like, what the hell, Lupo? You said it on this recording. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll build it around around you. <laughs> all right. I would suggest around you because you've done all the work for, for so long. But um, I don't know. What would you say is your favorite part, like running music venues? I mean, it has to be such a, a tough job, yeah. you know, a volatile job. But, like, what do you enjoy about it? Yeah. Um, I think, I think, uh, moment to moment, you know, like show to show, I think the, the thing I've enjoyed the most is 
is when a show is really good. Mm-hmm. And, and it's something I could do in the first couple of repos. It's kind of, I, I love it here too, but it, this is a little smaller, but meaning than that. Yeah. But to be just absorbed into the crowd. Yeah. And be in the middle of the crowd watching the show and just feeling the, you know, the, the vibe. I mean, there's just nothing like it. I've talked to a couple other club owners who said the same thing. Because mm-hmm. you produced it, you know. Yeah. You're not doing it, but you produced it. Yeah. And you blend in with the, with the people. They don't, they're not paying attention to you, which actually you enjoy. Mm-hmm. You're not thinking about the overflowed toilets. You know, you're just in the middle of the crowd watching the show, you know. Yeah. You, so often it's, you're, you're watching, you're watching the show, but you're also running the business. So it's not the same experience. It's not the pleasure that other people get. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's nothing like just being absorbed into a show and also knowing that this is, Produce this, you know, and, and and just getting lost into the music. It's just nothing like it. Yeah. I'm just so happy to experience that. Yeah. Um, on another level, for, for me, I mean, I got to I got to have all my rock and roll heroes play the that, and That's what I wanted. You know. Yeah. That, you know, my dreams came true. Mm-hmm. I have to say you kind of become one of those heroes too though you know like your name is like are like do you recognize the cultural impact you've had on, on the yeah but i but I'm, I'm, i use a fake modesty yeah, okay you know i don't, don't yeah you know, i act like i'm not aware yeah because uh, it is i mean it's tremendous what you've done you know like um you know not only just the mm-hmm. longevity but just you know like helping a lot of these, I mean, I've mentioned Grievous Malt and yeah. like just being a, a platform for, for bands to kind yeah. of move to that next level, you know. Well, you know, not to throw it aside in any way at all, but I think that Lupo's was kind of a bluesish R&B club in its, at its origins. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of credit should go to the living room because they, they, he, he, he caught on with the new wave more. Yeah. yeah, but we did it too because we, we you just have to keep up with the changing yeah. music of the times. Yeah, but uh, like what Randy was doing. Yeah, what Randy, like, Randy's been doing. Yeah, different stuff. styles of music. And stuff yeah, like that. yeah. Um, how was it working with all of the other club owners? I guess even still now, but how was it working with? Was it working with Randy and, um, like was it a, like a collegial, uh, group of. Of people in, in Providence? Yeah, like, you know, a friendly animosity. No, okay. just kidding. Like, <laughs> no, I, I really like, Randy and I really liked each other, but we were trying to get the same show, you know, so yeah, it's, okay. it's, 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 a, it's a problem. There can be some conflict there. But uh, I remember countless years of, like, just being at Lupo's and there'd be a show, and I'd watch, I'd be there, and I, even though I was kind of in charge, I had a manager, and I would, I remember walking through it when Living was at the bubble. Yeah. That's the second incarnation of the Living Room. So I'd be at a show at Lupo's and for years I'd walk, walk across the railroad tracks downtown, like where the mall is now yeah. and all that, Promenade Street. You know? yeah. I'd, I'd be at Lupo's and then I'd walk to the living room and watch a set there mm-hmm. and then walk back to Lupo's. And I mean, I, I just loved that we had this thing going on. You know, it's cool. But on the other hand, you're booking a show. Mm-hmm. And the, the guy, I remember, uh, there was some show we were trying to get, and uh, a guy named Frank J. Russo 
was putting shows into uh, the living room. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, he became very, very wealthy. He did the shows at the Civic Center. Oh, okay. I, that's a new name for you, I guess. No, I've, I've heard it. Or... So, but on the other hand, we'd be trying to get some show, and the agents would say, said, like one, once said, yes, but the Frank, who books the living room, yeah. said that there are rats and lupos, you know, as big as dogs. <laughs> and you're trying to book our show, you know, I figured, well, you know, it's not true, you know. Yeah, wow. You know, you know our rats were very, you know, just, they were minor. Average, rats, average yeah. size rats. Yes, yeah. Don't have to blow it out so, of proportion. I mean, there was a lot of competition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I've only been punched in the face by two artists in 45 years. Yeah. Um, Who was that? Um, the guy that did Come On Everybody, Let's Love One Another Right Now, Jesse Cohen Young. Yeah. Actually, that's <laughs> Come on, everybody. So, and, uh, I asked him to do an encore and he just punched me right in the face. I said, what? <laughs> Don't do an encore. <laughs> that is like the definition and, of ironic. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And then he went up and did the song. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I won't get into the other one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I only had one person spit down my throat once. All right. When I was trying to break up the fight. That doesn't, how, how did that come about then? It seems like a tricky it was, um, physical feat. This could be a half hour, but I won't do it. <laughs> but there, there was a motorcycle club that used to hang at Lupo's that were they terrorized the club. Like the first Lupo's? Yeah. yeah. And so the whole Friday night would be about them being in the parking lot and living rooms across the street. Yeah. And that's the new wave coming in and then the blues club lupos and these people that just came there just to be in the parking lot. Yeah. And just to make trouble and just to hang. And so all these people were in the parking lot that were just drinking in the parking lot. Yeah. So we had wild and woolly fights always. Yeah. And, uh, for me, anything, any fight, anything was about not having windows broken. Okay. So I, there was like, I remember one fight and, uh, and I saw one of the Lord's Crusaders motorcycles looked like it was going to fall through the window. So I got, I went up against the window and mm-hmm. the bike was starting to get knocked over, I thought. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of trying to, I had my hand on the window and on the motorcycle and, uh, and I was getting lower and lower from the weight of the motorcycle and the vice president of the, Louis Crusaders saw he had to be in a tremendous imposition. Yeah. And he just leaned over and he kind of got my mouth like that. And he caught the Louie down my throat. And uh, I think that was about the grossest thing that ever happened. You know? Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. But in uh, one thing I wanted to ask you in a more... Uh, happy note i guess oh. hopefully happy note than having that experience um how did the name lupo's heartbreak hotel come about like what was the inspiration for that and was it was the first lupo's called that as yeah. well or was yeah it some... yeah well, what happened was i just couldn't come up with the name and it was like we were opening in about two weeks yeah and i went to get some lumber uh, in only so, like to build the space out 
some carpenter needed some yeah. lumber. Okay. So I was picking it up for him. Yeah. And and on my way back, I, there was a, a Goodwill thrift shop in Olmeville. Yeah. So I went in and I bought 45s, which I did. So I, that, that's my great joy. <laughs> so I bought some 45s and I put them down and the carpenter was sitting like eating a sandwich or something. He said, that's what you should name your club. And there was a jacket of uh, Heartbreak Hotel. I bought that and ah. I got that at the Goodwill thrift shop. And he said, that's what you should name it. I said, holy shit. There you go. Wow. And then I used false modesty and put my name at the before Heartbreak Hotel. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was like two weeks before we opened. That's interesting. Well, cool. I don't. I never was a big fan of Elvis Presley. Yeah. Really. I but just thought it made sense. It does, yeah. Well, that's great. Um, are there any other memorable shows that you want to kind of bring up from... From Lupo's or the Mets or well again for me um, I go back you know the, the first live show I ever saw was the uh, Paul Butterfield Blues Band mm-hmm. in Boston at uh, I think it was Club 47 there was these they didn't even serve alcohol they were coffee houses yeah and uh, that had a really big influence on my life I'd never seen a live show it's like there was the live version of hearing Shake, Rattle, and Roll when you're a little kid. This is like Paul Butterfield Blues Band, and you're, I was about six feet away, and I just thumped, the music just thumped through your brain, and it's just incredible. And uh, and then, so to get them was a, a really big deal. It wasn't the original band, but it was, it was yep. and, uh Are there any of the, <laughs> the local Rhode Island bands that, that you like enjoyed working with and kind of helping them along with their careers? I don't know how much. I mean, I helped them in their careers and the, they played the club. You know, not like I took them on my, I didn't get them around. Teach them how to play. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> this is I, how you I, write a song. So I, I, lo- I love that. Again, it goes back. You know, in the original club, that's what we were doing. You know? Yeah. Um, as far as like, I think one band I really loved in the 90s that, that ended was a band called Scarce. Oh, yeah. Do you remember Scarce? Yeah, yeah. I thought they were the, Best. I, th- I went crazy over that band. Mm-hmm. I saw them, you know, they played. And, um, uh, I never really helped their careers, but I just really loved them. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, giving people a venue to play, yeah. it just, it, it does, yeah. uh, you know, as a musician, it, it means a lot. So. I'm also taken by the, the roots of the mentality of these the bands that are bigger. That over the last 10 years have been big, like Dare Tick and, mm-hmm. and uh, the Silks, bands like that. I mean, they're, they're so authentic. Yeah. So much musical history in those bands. Mm-hmm. Love them. That's cool. What do you have planned for the future? Do you have anything on the horizon for the club? I mean, I know you've got the, the party down the line, but are you looking to just stay a club owner until yeah. your 50th anniversary? And, uh, I, think, that, or? I think for me, I just want to hang on. I just... You know, I, I just, I want it to last. I, it's like, it's, it's you like are. you become, it's what, who I am. It, you, you age doesn't, you don't have to think about your aging so much when you're doing this. Uh-huh. Running a business, that's what you think about. And you still get a tremendous pleasure out of it. Yeah. Um, I love that. I love the employees. Yeah. Um, that's another big part of running a I mean, it's not, you, we're asking about being a club owner. I'll never stop thinking about how much 
with the times I had and the friendships I had with my employees, even like back in the seventies. Yeah, and that's a real big part of your business life. And I treasure that stuff. Yeah, is mm. it? I mean, it seems like it can be like a like a family. Lupo's one. We really were a family. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and it was a mutual joy. Mm-hmm. It's still there. I just want it to go on. Yeah. But I mean, kind of looking back, like, what would you say is your greatest music accomplishment or like greatest, you know, uh, greatest achievement with being a club owner? Um, I think it's, uh, you know, what people don't think about is that I've actually, um, been part of the, uh, birth process in Rhode Island. You know, a lot of like, so many kids with personality disorders are probably the result of people that met at my club. You know? Okay. Yeah, I mean, you think, you know, a lot of this probably, you know, people, not only did people get married because they met at my club, people got divorced because of things they did at my club. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I've had a lot to do with the children. Yeah. And I, I think I had a lot to do with the mental illnesses. Yeah. Just in, the feelings of, of Rhode Island citizens are. Yeah. It goes much deeper than just entertainment. It's, the core of who you are and the alimony check that you're paying. Is that what you're saying? Well, I think, I think <laughs> I should, I, th- I should get a cut of any, any, any alimony received where people like someone, if someone cheated in my club and got caught, I, you know, I think I deserve some of the money. <laughs> yeah. I think for me it was, uh, just having my dream come true, having all the artists that I really, mm-hmm. Just spent, you know, that dictated what happened to me mm-hmm. in my life, and, and they, they performed there, you know, lots of them. And uh, they called me by my first name, and we spent some time together at times. Mm-hmm. You know, walked around the city, things like yeah. that. It was, you know, it's great. It's fantastic. Thank you so much, Rich. How long have we been here?